Hi everyone, welcome to church. Today we're going to be continuing on in our book study of Philippians, and we're going to be talking about finding joy through obedience. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I'll give you a warning, today you will definitely need a Bible with you. We're going to be doing a lot of scripture reading. So turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12. Paul writes here, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your word to study, that you have given us really your heart on how we should be living our lives. And Lord, as we seek to find joy through obedience, I pray that you would help us to hear what your word has to say to us today. And Lord, that my words would fall by the wayside, but that your words would be amplified and glorified and magnified above all others. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us. In your name we pray, amen. So in life, there are consequences to every choice that we make. Whether we like it or not, some of these consequences are good consequences and others are not so good. So, for example, if I choose to sleep regularly and have a healthy sleep schedule, if I choose to go to the gym and work out, if I choose to eat healthy, there are going to be consequences that will bear out the lifestyle that I have chosen to live. Just the same, adversely, if I choose to eat fast food at every meal, if I choose to stay up late every single night, if I choose to do nothing at my desk or just sit there, then the consequences of that lifestyle will bear out as well. And sad to say that most of you guys can probably tell which lifestyle I live more. But when we come to faith in Christ, there's no difference. There's consequences to claiming a faith in Jesus Christ, and when it is true faith in Him, these consequences will bear out one way or the other, for good, hopefully, but also there are consequences if we, if we claim faith in Him and those, those, the good fruit doesn't bear. So that brings us to really the topic of today, which is obedience and choosing to obey and obey Christ. And we know from our reading of, really, verse 3 in chapter 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. We know that we are to be submitted and our mind is to be submitted to the will of God and not to our own. We are to esteem others above ourselves. We read about that in verse 3 here. We also read about it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are called to obey God's will by submitting to His commands and renewing our minds. 
We are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And we, we live to be more like him. We, we strive and we work to be more like Jesus Christ through that renewing of our minds. And we are not to be like this world. We are not to look like this world. We are not to try and be more like this world. We, to, we are to try to be more like Christ and have the mind of Christ. And we renew our minds and submit to God's authority by doing what verse 1 says in chapter 12 of Romans. We, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This idea of it is not my life that I live, but God's. And if you turn to Galatians... Um, chapter uh, 2, we read in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 2, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Here Paul is saying that we are to no longer live. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer Andrew who lives, but Christ who lives in me to do his will. And so everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I eat, everything that I think, all these things should be brought under the submission of the authority of Jesus Christ. And so there's a temptation for us, though, in this world to continue to live the same way that we always have lived our lives pre or post Jesus Christ. We, we strive actually to oftentimes look like the world and talk like the world and act like the world and do the things that the world does, whether that means we, we submit to, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, you know, that idea of trying to buy more things to make us look um, status-wise. We are the same status as others. We try to have the same friends that we've always had. We don't want to lose any friends that we've had because friends are a valuable commodity. And so, and sometimes for some of us, they're hard to come by. And so we try and keep those friendship circles, even though we have Jesus now. And, and mostly, if I can say this, we try to keep our comfort. We, have, we live in a world that, that strives to create comfort and strives to create a, a life that is devoid of anything that puts us out of our own uh, bubble, our sphere of comfort. And so, so when we talk about this idea of changing our lives to be submit, submit and be under the obedience of Jesus Christ, then it kind of gets uncomfortable, but we're called to be sanctified. Uh, that word translated set apart. We are called to be other than the world. We're not to look like the world plus Jesus. We're not supposed to look like we have Jesus, but we also have the world. We're to look like we have Jesus Christ and him, him and him alone. I think about some of the sacrifices that some of the great men of faith have made as far as, you know, not choosing to go to movies or choosing not to have television or, or choosing to um, read their Bible consistently, regularly, and predominantly throughout every day of their lives. I think about some of the sacrifices that they must have made to not enjoy the comforts of this world so that they could pursue a holy life. And I think I'm, I'm assuming here, but I'm assuming that if you were to ask any of them on their deathbed, if they regretted choosing Jesus Christ over the things that the world has to offer, 
They would say, absolutely not. Definitely, when they enter into glory, when they enter into heaven, definitely they would say, absolutely not. Because Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the purpose. His glorification is everything that we want to do. And so when we look at giving up these things, is it a sacrifice? Yes. And is it hard? Absolutely. But it is what we have been called to do. We have been called to be obedient to Jesus. And this is what Paul is referencing. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, sorry, I'm going to turn there. Uh, (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, Paul says this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, the Gentiles being the world, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct. You no longer do your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed, there's that word again, renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the idea if if we are truly being renewed in our mind, if we are truly being a new creation, being made to be a new creation, as Jesus says, as the word says, then we are going to look differently than the world. Jesus even says it in John 15, verse 19. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And that's something that we try to ignore. We try and blur that line. Well, maybe the world doesn't hate me. Maybe I don't have to be hated by the world. Because maybe I can have Jesus and the world. And, they, and through that, we hope to, I think the intention is that we hope to bring people out of the world into the fold of Jesus. But the Bible also says that bad company corrupts good character, not the other way around. And so the more we look like the world, the more we act like the world, the more we talk like the world, the less we look like Jesus. The less we act like Jesus and the less we talk like Jesus. And that is not the purpose of our faith. The purpose is that we grow continually towards Jesus Christ. Through these examples of the renewal of our minds and not being of the world, we see that we are to obey God and his word above anything else. Anything else. We are to obey Jesus Christ. We are to obey his words. There, uh, This leads to a better understanding of God's will and a a better understanding of God in general. And through that, a joy that comes through this obedience. You see, when we understand God better, it is a joyful experience. We, We enjoy getting to know our God better because of the gifts that he has given us, because of the sacrifice that he has made for us, because of all of those things. And so we pursue that by giving up the things that this world thinks we need. This world wants us to need. But it also helps us better understand Jesus' words to us in John 14, verse 15, when he says, If you love me, 
keep my commandments. And again, in chapter 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. There's a definitive statement here in Jesus saying, if you love me, then keep my commands. And we can extrapolate from that, that if we don't keep his commands, then he is saying, you don't really love me. And we're going to talk about that, uh, in a minute, but we ultimately see that obedience to God's commands is a standard from Jesus Christ that we are to follow and not try to skirt around and not try to, um, make better or make easier or make more comfortable. We're not to try and change this so that, yeah, he, he said, obey my commands, but he didn't mean this, or he didn't mean that, or he, he kind of, yeah, I, I need to be careful in this area. No, he said, obey my commands if you love me. And if you love me, you will keep my commands. And that leads us to kind of an understanding of what Paul says here in verse 12. If we go back to verse 12 of uh, Philippians chapter 2, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Fear and trembling is not something that we often talk about when we talk about joy. <laughs> it is not something that we often talk about when we think about how to have a joyful life. If, if somebody came to you and said, how should I be joyful? And you said to them, well, by fear and trembling and just left it at that, they might be a bit confused. But what I am going to, what we're going to look through here is that there is a joy that comes through a holy fear and trembling that works out our salvation, that helps us understand the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And we must come to a better understanding of God through this. And so turn, if you will, to, to uh, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read the entire chapter here because it is so important to understand who God is and why, is it, why it is important that we work out our faith with fear and trembling. He says in 1 John chapter 2, My little children, these, thing, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write, to, uh, write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have laid from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which is the true, <clears throat> which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and he walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for your you. Sorry, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. 
I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they weren't, sorry, they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who desires that Jesus is the Christ? Sorry, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in, <clears throat> in this Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, and when he appears, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. It's a long chapter, I understand. It's, it's a lot of words coming at you. But the main point of this is, in, is found in a few different verses. One of them is verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this world is passing away and the lust of it. But the, he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, we have this command to put off the things of the world. To, to run away from the things of the world, the lust of the world. We are not to pursue those things. We're not even to play with those things. We're not to even look at those things. We're to turn to the Father and run away from those things so that we can run into the arms of Christ. I think one of the best lies that the enemy has ever told the church is that if we look like the world, then the world will come to Jesus. That is one of the things that I see so many people trying to do. I, I have tried to do that in my past. I have tried to look like the world. I have tried to talk like the world. I have tried to be like the world so that people would come to Jesus in hopes that they would see me and think, well, okay, I can, I can do that. But you see, Jesus Christ is so holy and he is so sanctified. He is so set apart from this world that we cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible and hope that that's going to work. 
No, we need to turn around and run away from the world and be everything but the world. We need to look like Jesus, completely counter to what the world wants us to look like. We, we don't want to look like that. We want to look like Christ. And through looking like Christ, I think, personally, I think that that is more attractive to the world than just looking like the world with some Jesus added on top. And so we need to be careful that we abide in him. If we deny Jesus or the Father, then we do not have him in us. That kind of stands to reason. But here, John is saying that if we are of the world, which means practicers of what the world teaches, then he is not in us. And that is a fearful thing. That is a fearful thing. James 4 verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. To be an enemy of God is a fearful thing. Matthew 10, 28 says this, And do not fear those who will kill the body. Jesus is saying this, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And look, it's not popular to talk about hell in today's world. It's not popular to talk about uh, consequences for our sins, but it is a reality that there are consequences to our choices to deny God and, and live a life that is in accordance to the ways of Him in exchange for the ways of the world. We may think that this is harsh. We may think that it's not very kind. You may even think that it's narrow. And you're right. It narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. And we're going to talk about that in about two seconds. <laughs> Jesus himself says, in fact, and just go ahead and turn there in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking and he says in, in verses 13 of chapter 7 in Matthew, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because the narrow gate is, is sorry, narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then jump down to verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These verses should cause us to pause and to think about how we are living our life. To think about, are we being obedient to the commands that Jesus has given us? They should, they should, we should take assessment of whether or not we are living our life faithfully and following Christ's commands. And again, we can turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and it tells us that it's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. Meaning, we only get one shot at this. We only get one go around this, this life. We don't get multiple chances. And so we have to be understanding that once we die, it's too late. Once we die, we go before the judge and he judges us. Jesus Christ judges us whether or not we have lived faithfully, whether or not we have lived in a manner that is worthy of the calling that he has given us as we read in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1. 
whether or not we have, have been living that worthy life. We only have this one shot. And so when we take a look at that, it should cause us again to stop and think. But when we follow him and obey his commands and seek his will first, there's an immense joy that comes from knowing that we have that amazing grace that we often sing about. We have an experience, a grace that is, that is all-encompassing, that shows us how we can live our lives, and not only that, in a way that is worthy and honoring to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not about what you can do through your own power. It's about grace that Jesus Christ gives us as a free gift. We were once enemies with God. If you read Romans 5, 6 through 11, that explains that very well. And through his sacrifice on the cross, we are now adopted sons and daughters. Ephesians 1 through 1, chapter 1, verse 5 says that. That we have been adopted into the family of God. Because we have this faith that has saved us. When we rightly understand what we, what we have deserved, what we, what we earned before Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on a cross, we fear and we tremble at the awesomeness of our God because he is so worthy, because he is so powerful. He is mighty to save. And when we understand that fully, it is not a fear of a dog that is head shy because his owner beats him too much. It's a fear of understanding that at the snap of a finger, God had every right to zap us all off of the face of the earth. He has every right to punish us, but he chose through his son to save us from our destination, which was hell. And that is something that we should, in gratefulness and in great joy, we should take the opportunity that we have to serve Jesus. And this is where it leads us to our third point, which is the heart of obedience. Because oftentimes we drag our feet <laughs> when we have to obey. I have children and when I tell them to clean their room or when I tell them to pick up their toys or when I tell them it is bedtime or really anytime I tell them to do something that they don't really want to do, they start dragging their feet. They start looking for any way out. And so we are not called to an obedience that drags our feet. We are called to an obedience that is joyful at the opportunity that we get to do this. We get to obey Jesus Christ. In verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2, he says how we can do this. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you the shine, shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. It can be so easy, so easy to, <sighs> yeah, I guess. 
I suppose I will serve. I suppose I will volunteer. I suppose I will give and give of my time and my talents and my, my finances. I suppose I will. Because you strong-armed me or you twisted my arm. It can be so easy to fall into that trap. We have created a culture that in fact avoids any kind of discomfort, and we talked about that a little bit, at every level. So when God asks us to do something uncomfortable or different than what we want to do, we start, we, we start looking for outs. We start looking for opportunities to, well, I'm going to delegate that to someone else. Or, or uh, you know what, I can't make it because I'm busy and I've got to take care of this and I've got to take care of that. It really comes down to the same thing that the serpent said to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did, did God really say to stay away from porn completely? Did he, did he say to, to keep your eyes and your mind and your heart pure for real? Or did he just mean try your best? Did God really say it, to not hang out with, with bad influences? Did, did God really say that those friends are not the best people to hang out with? Did, did God really say that we should be careful with the people that we take counsel from? Or did he just say, you know, be wise in that? Did God really say to make disciples? Did, did God really say to take time out of your day to, to invest into others so that they can know Jesus Christ better? Or did he just say, try your best? And did he say these things regardless how you feel? Because, I mean, does God really understand that you're going through something right now? Does God really understand that your life is hectic or that you've gone through a lot of pain or, or that you're working extremely hard, God must have put an out somewhere for you. So yes, I know that I should make disciples, but I just don't have the time. Or yes, I, I know I shouldn't watch that on TV, but that's my, God understands that that's how I relax, that's how I rest, that's how I recharge my batteries. I know that I haven't been to church in, in seven months, or two years, or 15 years. But God understands that I, I worship him through his, his nature. God, God understands that I, I worship him by going to the hockey game and going to the lake or going to wherever. And again, before you accuse me of saying that those things are inherently bad, I'm not saying those things are inherently bad. What I'm saying is that when we start making excuses so that I can live the life that I desire in the comfort that I want, in the way that I want, and God needs to form to my image of him, well, you see, I've created a false God. I have created an idol. If we can convince ourselves that God didn't really mean it, then we don't have to change. And we can continue living our lives as we wish, however we want to. But Paul is saying here that we are to be different than the rest of the world. Look at verse 15 again that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among you whom you shine as lights in this world. You see, we, we get to, 
We get to obey Jesus Christ. We get to be other than the world. We get to not go watch that movie. We get to disciple others. We get to sacrifice our personal desires so that Jesus Christ can be glorified. That is an opportunity for us and it is one that we should be joyful over because we are serving the God who has given us so much. There is rejoicing that takes place among believers, and I believe in heaven as well, when those of us here on earth live lives that are without fault and that are sanctified, that are set apart, that through that holy living, through that different living, others come to Jesus Christ. Others see that and desire that. We have been given our task Now we must take it seriously and live it out. There's not a lot of skirting around what Paul is saying here. He's being very clear. Obey. And we looked at a, a lot of examples of scripture that tell us to abide in Christ, to obey his commands. We see Paul in in a state of joy that the church in Philippi was being obedient to the Lord. And we also see that he was joyful at the prospect of being poured out as a drink offering in reference to his death. At the idea that he might get to suffer for Jesus. We see that in Acts as well in the early church. When Peter goes to prison and they beat him before the the Sanhedrin, they go away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. They were joyful. What we must be clear what must be clear to us is that when we fully understand the sacrifice that was made for us and we look to Jesus Christ as our savior there is a natural requirement there is a consequence of obedience to his calling to his word to his commands That is the consequence of us claiming faith in Jesus Christ. The consequence of following Jesus is that we must obey him. But the beautiful thing about that is that we we get joy and we get to experience a pleasure in serving him. We get to serve him. We don't have to serve him. We get to. Let us be less focused on our own comfort and more focused on serving the one who saved us through obedience to his commands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to change. Lord, that our hearts would stop trying to make excuses for not serving you. And Lord, that we would dive into your word and that we would dive into a personal relationship with you and that we would dive in to serving you through serving others. Lord, we pray that you would bless that. And and Father, we know that you will. As scary as it is, as difficult as it is, and as sacrificial as it is, Lord, we know that you are there to help us and to bless us as we do this. So Father, we ask that you would continue to be glorified in our lives, that we would continue to change for you, and that we would serve you. Lord, we love you so much, and we ask that you would just bless us as we go forward, knowing that it's scary and hard. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.